0: Hey, thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Canfield, Director of Next Steps here at Brian Baptist Church in Mansfield, Ohio. We would love to connect with you. We'd love to get to know you. Um, if you need prayer, if you want to connect with us, check out our website at bereanfamily.com. It has all the stuff on there that you want to know about, Berean, our events, prayer, whatever it might be. Check it out. Here's today's sermon.
1: Good morning, Berean family. Oh, the excitement is so good. Hey. Uh, I feel like in some ways, so i got to be honest with you, I hate winter. I don't like the cold. I don't like the snow. I had 11 years of plenty of it in Alaska. I could go the rest of my life without having snow or cold again. Um, that's just me complaining this morning because you look like you wanted to hear it. Um, but there's something about that just seems appropriate that we celebrate Christmas in the winter. Uh, particularly in, in the north. There's just something incredibly peaceful about a fresh snowfall, isn't there? As long as you're not driving in it. In Alaska, we uh, um, our first year there. So we had a tradition in Michigan before moving to Alaska that we, as a family, would go out and cut a Christmas tree down. And uh, we had a great selection at this place we went to. Uh, um, it was it was like trying to find a flaw with a tree. You know, they're all just just right. Um, So we'd go out there, and that'd be a day that we would spend looking for a tree, and it was a family tradition. We thought, when we moved to Alaska, we don't want to give that up, Um, even though it's like 30 below zero, and um, the trees are all Charlie Brown Christmas trees in Alaska, if you're going to go cut a fresh one down. So they're very, uh, the branches are like this far apart on all of them. So you have your ornaments, and they're they're really small, so the ornaments just kind of, they just droop, and it's a super sad thing. Like super, So we only did it one year, but that year, um, there's, there's, a, there's a military base, there's Air Force and Army uh, that have joined. It's called Joint Base Almadorf-Richardson and Anchorage, where um, you can actually go on the base. You just have to stop and, and fill out a form or whatever and get a permit. Um, because there's these kind of big wilderness areas on base, you can actually go and cut your own tree down there. So I decided that'd be kind of a cool thing to do, to go out on base, go into the wilderness and cut a tree down Which, by the way, in Alaska, you're taking some risks anytime you go out into the wilderness. But this particular day, even though the tree we got was absolute garbage, and I mean it, I cut down like a 50-foot tree so I can get the top like 10 feet, because that was the only thing with branches that resembled what a Christmas tree should look like, right? Um, So you can write me a letter about my killing the environment, whatever. Um, But uh, getting the tree, I'll never forget the quiet... Just the silent and just the overwhelming sense of peace, even in the cold. There's something about just being in a forest with fresh snow. Has anybody ever experienced that? Alone, with nobody else around? No sound of motors. No, no talking voices. Just absolute stillness and silence. You know, in that moment, I just I remember thinking, this is just so Peaceful. Just This is so nice. This is so peaceful to experience it. The thing is, you can't stay in that peace because you'll freeze to death. So I had to get moving, cut a tree down, cut it in half or whatever, and then drag the bit out to my car. So that peace, while it was profound and you could feel it, it didn't last forever. It was here and then it passed. I think too many of us as Christians, we experience glimpses of what it's like to live in peace, in harmony with God, only for those to pass all too soon. We live in a world right now where, while we're celebrating this Christmas season, peace coming to earth. Here we are 2,000 some years later, and the world seems anything but peaceful, doesn't it? We have a sister church in Ukraine uh, called Grace Church. And it's Brovary is the name of the town it's in, and it's like 45 minutes outside of Kiev on the way to Moscow. So it's kind of been in a, in an area where uh, it's been a bit of a target in some ways, and they've been dealing with the uh, this ongoing war with Russia. Pastor Boris, who is the pastor in this church, in the last and uh, when COVID started to, to go around in 2020. Um, He ended up contracting it and dying. So they have now Pastor Anatoly. Pastor Anatoly is a wonderful, wonderful guy. Married with kids. Just a little bit younger than me. And he just got his letter a couple days ago that he's now going to be in this war. The pastor of this church. This world right now, there seems to be a, a big lack of peace. You think about all the people that hate Israel... You know, they, they, they get attacked. There's somebody who said, or it's been said many times, if, if Hamas would stop bombing Israel, there would be no more war. If Israel started, stopped fighting back against Hamas, there would be no more Israel. They've been a target since the creation, the beginning of time. That hasn't stopped. And even in our own country, we see college students coming out and protesting and just showing their, their hatred for Israel. There isn't peace there. The very place where peace came, into this world has no peace. Think about nations like China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, with leaders that are always up to no good, causing conflict and looking to grow their own kingdom and empire. And I feel like in America for the last 10, 20, 30 years now, we feel like we've just been on the edge, that things could get really bad really quickly. How is it that when peace came to this world over 2,000 years ago, how is it that we still have all of these wars? How is it that we still have this lack of peace? What has gone wrong? And what can we do about it? With all this going on, it feels that the world could just explode at any moment. The truth of it is, This Christmas season, we do celebrate that that peace came to this world. We remember that peace entered into this world and into our lives as followers of Jesus. Friends, this is good news. In fact, this is the best news. We need peace in our lives. I think there's at least three areas everybody needs to have peace. Number one, and most importantly, peace with our Creator. Being at peace with the one who created us. You know, by God sending His Son to die on a cross, to take on our penalty, to take on our sin, to take what we deserve and give us something that we could never deserve, He has given us peace and reconciliation with Him. And because we have peace with our Creator, that flows into the other two areas of our lives where we need peace. first one of those is peace with others. We need to be at peace with those who are around us. And third, peace within our own lives. Peace in our hearts, peace in our minds. Those are three areas that all humanity needs to be experiencing peace. Of course, the first, once again, takes care of the rest. When we have peace with our Creator, we can enjoy the benefits of peace in all areas of our lives. We must remember we are called to live in peace, but we're also called to be peacemakers. Meaning, if there is no peace... It's our job to bring peace to a situation or to a people. The absolute best way we can do that is by inviting people to follow the Prince of Peace, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The best way we can bring peace in this world is by making Jesus known to everyone, every tribe, tongue, and nation. While we enjoy the peace that comes from Christ this Christmas season, Today I want to focus on our responsibility, our obligation, and our great joy that comes from sharing that peace with others. We're going to do so, we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there now. Uh, if you don't have one with you, you can either check it out on your phone or on the screen, or we would love to give you a Bible at our Connection Center uh, that's right over in that corner. So, um, yeah, 2 Peter chapter or 2. Timothy. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to pray before we jump in. And before I pray, I want to share a bit, a bit of a testimony with you. Um, uh, two weeks ago, we did a sermon. We, we ended the, the series in James, in James chapter 5. And in that, it talks about let the sick among you come forward and, and, and be anointed with oil and be prayed for by the elders of the church. And uh, I think this is something that we just don't do enough. Uh, I, I've come to believe... That God wants us to go to Him in our times of need. And I've come to believe that God has absolutely has the power to do the miraculous. Now, I'll be honest, more times than not, when I pray for a healing, we don't see that healing this side of heaven. More times than not, it seems that the healing comes after we go into glory and then we are fully healed. But there have been times where I've seen God do the miraculous as far as the healing, physical touch of the Lord. And that's part of what I want to share with you before we get started in this sermon. There is uh, the the Canfield family. You might have saw Landon up here um, reading some of the text. and uh, Zach is a deacon. Kelly works on staff here. Uh, Zach's dad, Jim, uh, about 12 years ago or so, was diagnosed with brain cancer. And they were giving him, I think, six to nine months to live. And he just kept on living. Well, not too long ago, he had another brain scan and the brain cancer had returned. They found a tumor in his brain. Jim came um, not on a Sunday, uh, that where we were having people coming forward, but on the following Wednesday, every Wednesday at 6 p.m., uh, if, if we, we pray for people. If you have a sickness or if there's a spiritual need or whatever it may be, uh, we will anoint you with oil and we'll pray over you. By the way, the oil, there's nothing magic in it. It's symbolic of the Holy Spirit of God coming over you is when you're anointed with oil. Well, anyways, Jim and the family came on Wednesday night to be prayed for. And I remember specifically somebody praying that, Lord, the next time Jim has one of these scans, could it just be that it's not even there? Could you just heal? Can you just take this from him? That was a week and a half ago. Thursday of this week, Kelly came into my, Kelly Canfield came into my office with tears in her eyes and says, Dan, I can't believe it. Jim's at the hospital and Zach is with him. The doctors just came in. They showed him his scan from before and they showed him where the brain tumor was. Then they showed him his newest scan where there is no more tumor. God had healed him. Jim, right here, would you stand up real quick? You know... All the glory to God. All the glory to God. You know, if he didn't heal Jim in that way, God is good. God is good. Jim knows that this world is temporary. At some point, he's going to meet our Lord and Savior. And God is good when that happens. But we need to celebrate and thank God for His goodness when He decides to make His power known for His glory by healing one of His children. Which is exactly what he did, and we are so grateful for that. You know, I'm thinking about the, uh, the grandchildren who were there while we prayed over you, Jim, and thinking about them hearing all of these prayers. And of course, there's some concern almost, like we're going to pray in front of a child. Lord, would we just pray that you would heal him? And what if he doesn't? What, if he, what do we say to the kids after we've prayed for somebody to be healed, and in that moment, they aren't healed? Can I tell you something? you'll never be able to tell the Canfield kids that there is no God. They know what happened with their grandpa. They were there. They saw him get prayed for, and they saw the immediate results of God's touch. I tell you that because you need to know that God still does the miraculous. And as miraculous as that physical healing is, can I tell you something else? It pales in comparison to the miracle that happens when somebody is brought from death into life. When a lost soul is found, it is nothing short than miraculous. And as people who have been called to be peacemakers, we get to be a part of that miracle. We get to have the front row seat of God doing the miraculous on a regular basis. Who doesn't want to see that? And We get to be a part of it. Would you join me in prayer and then we'll jump into 2 Timothy. God, we just thank you so very much for what you've done in the life of Jim and the Canfield family. God you are so good. You are the great physician. You are the God that can heal. God as I think about my own life and the things I've been able to I've been privileged to be witness to. I'm embarrassed to say that there are times when my faith is still shaken. God, you are so faithful. And you deserve all of our faithfulness. God we thank you for the miracles that you do both the physical touch but also the spiritual miracles story after story that i can think of of people that you've touched from from people who have had drug addiction and alcoholism and broken marriages physical things and spiritual God you are the great physician you are so good God, let us never lose our sense of awe in who you are and what you are able to do. And God, help us as a church to believe that you didn't just bring peace to our lives, but that Christmas morning you were bringing peace to earth. And we get to be a part of that proclamation of peace. God, use us. In Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Timothy 2, verses 1-10. through says this you then my child be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. The offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they, may, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Uh, Our main idea that I want to focus in on in in this text today is this. Uh, The portion of the text, Paul gives his disciple Timothy three things that a disciple should do that will help bring peace into this world. Three things. First of all, is this, and the first point of discussion is this disciples should multiply. Disciples should multiply. I think we all have that understanding to some degree. But if you listen to how Paul talks to Timothy, he says, What you have heard from me in in, uh, the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men, and then what? Who will be able to teach others also? What we see here is God's plan of reaching the world. Make a disciple who will make a disciple who will make a disciple. If I told you, hey, we we are going to go out this year and we're going to try to reach the whole world, this would seem counterintuitive, wouldn't it? That we would go out and just try to reach a disciple, make a disciple, singular, who will make a disciple, and so on and so forth. To help understand, though, the power of multiplication, I want you to take a look at this video.
2: Would you rather be given $1 million or one penny doubled every day for 30 days? You remember this question from math class, right? This is when we all learned the power of compound interest and exponential growth. At the end of 30 days, that doubled penny becomes just over $5 million. Turns out, the same concept applies to missions. Imagine you filled a football stadium with 100,000 people for a gospel outreach event and 20% of them came to know Christ. That day, 20,000 people would come into the kingdom. If you did that every day for a year, over 7 million people would come to faith. That sounds pretty great, right? Here's the question though. If you kept that pace of 7 million people each year, how long would it take to reach the world's population of 8 billion people? Over 1,000 years. 1,095 to be exact. A 100,000-person outreach event every day for a 1,000 years? From a pure number standpoint, mass evangelism will not reach the world for Christ in our lifetime. What about a different strategy inspired by that original math problem? Instead of preaching to 100,000 people every day, suppose you made one disciple each year, focused on their development, and equipped them to make their own new disciple every year. At the end of the first year, you would have two followers of Jesus, you and your disciple. At the end of the second year, you would have four, eight the third year, 16 the fourth and so on, 32, 64, 128. How many years would it take to disciple the world using this strategy? 34 years. Do the math. Something profound happens when we take a multiplication mindset. In the Great Commission, Jesus tells us to go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He continues by instructing us to teach those disciples to obey everything he commanded us. What was his final command? Go and make disciples. So our role is to make disciples that obey the command to make disciples that obey the command to make disciples. We're to go to all nations and make disciple making disciples. That's multiplication. Reach the few in order to reach the many. What if you didn't feel the burden to preach to an entire village or city or country, but instead were faithful to the simple multiplication principles of the Great Commission? The entire world could be discipled in our generation if we started with just one. What about you? How might God want you to be involved in making disciples that make disciples, in seeing movements of Jesus among every tribe, tongue, people, and nation? Would you rather fill a stadium every day for the next thousand years? or commit to making one disciple this year. Let's do this together, until all have heard, starting with discipling one. So, who's your one?
1: So to me, this seems entirely doable. And counterintuitive. It would seem like, let's, let's fill up the stadiums, let's preach the gospel. And we've done that to some degree of success over the last 150 or so years. Having these big events where there's these big calls to people to come forward and you'll see people coming to Christ. But I think there's a little bit of a problem. You see, for some reason, we've separated evangelism and discipleship. And those two things, they're they're two heads on the same coin. They're two sides of the same coin. You can't have real evangelism without discipleship. And you can't have discipleship without evangelism. They go together. We're called to make disciples who make disciples. You know, since Jesus was here, every generation believed that it could be in their lifetime that Jesus would return. Now, now there's a pretty good understanding, it's pretty widely accepted within the church, that, that the whole world will have the opportunity to come to know Jesus before he returns. You know, we talk about these great advancements in technology and how we can get that word to all the corners of the earth, and and maybe that way we're going to be getting the the gospel out. But what if we just use this old principle of a disciple making a disciple who makes a disciple? You can see how even that first-generation church theoretically theoretically could have uh, presented the gospel to every corner of the world. But however many generations it's been in 2,000 and some years, not one generation has been successful at that. Still today, there's over 3 billion people who live in unreached people groups that don't know the name Jesus and won't have a fair shot of the gospel in their lifetime unless we do something about it. Church, we're called to bring peace to the world. And the best way we can bring peace to the world is the exact way Jesus said we should do it. It's the exact way Paul told us to his uh, disciple Timothy to do it. Go and make a disciple who makes disciples who makes disciples. This, this thing that says 34 years, that's starting with one person. Today at Breen, we'll have had over 800 people here most likely, and another 150 or so watching online. What if 950 people in Mansfield, Ohio, all made a disciple in 2024? Can you imagine what could happen? Friends, I want to I want to encourage you. I want to inspire you. I want to motivate you because that's possible. It's possible in the in the power of God for each one of us to go and make a disciple. That's something that can happen, that's something that should happen, that's something that needs to happen. Again, in verses 1 and 2, Paul says to Timothy, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of my witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Timothy, go make disciples who make disciples. The same command for us today. Go make disciples that make disciples disciples. Before Paul jumps into with Timothy, though, his expectations for him, I love that he tells him to be strengthened by grace. He says, Timothy, my disciple, be strengthened by grace. Being strengthened by grace happens when we realize that though while we are imperfect, we are forgiven. You know, whether or not you ever make a disciple, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven Be strengthened by that grace that you have received. You see, this Christmas we celebrate that even though God knows everything about us, everything about humanity, and how broken we are, how rebellious we are, how sinful we are, He knows all about that, yet He still sent His Son to die for us. Be strengthened by that grace that a God who knows literally everything about you loves you enough to sacrifice his son. Friends, just like Paul told Timothy, I'm telling you today, be strengthened by grace. Paul gives Timothy the formula to reach the world. And again, it's the formula that I don't think any of us would have expected. And it's the formula we saw in the video. Paul said, in what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also what if we all do that this year church we can we should and we're privileged to three things that a disciple should do to bring peace to the world first of all disciples should multiply secondly disciples should live like jesus boy that's a tall order isn't it living our lives like jesus lived that is a tall order for us and it seems impossible You know, we're at the end of a calendar year, so 2023 is almost behind us. I I just stopped writing 2022 on documents, right? I don't know about anybody else, and here we are, we're we're looking um, 2024 right in the eye, and it's going to be here before we know it. You know, really, it's just an arbitrary number. It's just a a mark on a calendar, new year and the end of an old year. But it can be really good, because it can serve as an opportunity for some time of reflection, I think it'd be good for all of us this week. Take some time and reflect. Do I look more like Jesus at the end of 2023 than I did at the start of it? Just take that kind of an internal, give yourself an internal test. Do I look more like Jesus today at the end of 2023 than I did at the start of it? Because friends, if we can't answer that, yes, I do. If we say, listen, I don't think I've grown but i haven't really backslidden or maybe we've backslidden a little bit look less less like him now than we did it's possible that we've wasted our year and we need to repent from that and ask god to do a new work in our hearts and in our lives for 2024 a disciple should look like his master or her master and our master is jesus do we look more like him now than we did at the beginning of the year Listen to the verses 3 through 7 in Second Timothy chapter 2. It says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. You know, we, we share in suffering. Who are we sharing in the suffering with? Jesus came and suffered on our behalf. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. You know, how so Paul tells Timothy to, to share in suffering as a good soldier. When somebody goes and enlists into the military, what they're saying is, my life now belongs to the military. I, I am part of the military and I'm going to take my orders. My life is no longer my own. In fact, our soldiers, they forfeit their freedoms. They forfeit their freedoms and they come and they join the military and they say, my life is not my own any longer. I belong to the military. Therefore, everything that I do is going to be on behalf of the military. You know, that's the same for Christians. When you surrendered to Jesus Christ, when you accepted Him to be the Lord of your life, you are saying, my life is no longer my own. I am forfeiting it. I'm giving it back to you and trusting you with it. The, the text here says, again, sharing the suffering as a good soldier of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. I'm afraid, church, that we get far too entangled. We get far too entangled with civilian pursuits. What does that mean? That means we do our lives to make us ourselves more comfortable. We, we follow the desires that we have We succumb to the flesh and the temptation that comes within it. We entangle ourselves in civilian pursuits after we have given our lives to our Master. We can't do that. We need to live our lives like Christ. Becoming more like Jesus by making disciples who are making disciples who are making disciples. Being strengthened in His grace as we go. I also want you to notice that bringing peace to earth involves suffering It definitely involved suffering for our Lord and Savior who He came and brought peace to this earth and His whole life was marked by suffering. Not the least of which, the end of His earthly life when He died on a cross. If the cross was what Jesus was called to as our Master, we as His followers should expect some suffering along the way as well. Again, Paul says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuit since his aim is to please... The one who enlisted him. He goes on An athlete must follow the rules. A farmer must work hard. What is he saying there? To live like Jesus is to be disciplined, to follow the guidelines and the rules that have been set in place by our master, and to do what is expected of us, all the while working hard. But we need to do those things and remember those things that we don't do them on our own power, because we will fail. But in the power of the Holy Spirit, all things are possible. All things are possible. Three things that a disciple should do to bring peace in the world. First of all, disciples should multiply. Secondly, uh, that they should live like Jesus. And finally, third, disciples should keep their eye on the prize. We need a good motivation. And we need to remember what our motivation is as we go out to seek to multiply and live our lives like Jesus. Friends, if your faith isn't growing, if you're not fruitful, fruitful in your pursuit of Christ, if you think Christianity is boring and your faith has been waning, it could be that you have forgotten your motivation. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy, verses eight, starting in verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. I'm going to stop there. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. From the dead. Friends, is there a better motivation to live like Jesus and bring peace on earth than the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I can think of no better motivation. You see the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the ultimate exclamation point on every promise, every miracle that is written about in the Word of God. I've heard people arguing about that God really part. The red sea could jesus really have risen lazarus from the dead could jesus really have healed the leper could could he have really caused the blind to be able to see was there some sort of trickery involved friends if jesus really rose from the grave all of the rest of that is obviously possible who can defeat the grave but jesus can and jesus did you want a motivation jesus rose from the dead and because Jesus rose from the dead, the Bible calls him the firstfruits, meaning that there will be more resurrections. Listen, you want, you want some motivation. Jesus really rose from the grave so we can believe every promise that is written in Scripture. Because Jesus really rose from the grave, we can believe too that as followers of Jesus, like Jesus, we one day will ra- be ra- risen from the grave. That's why the Scripture says, Oh death, where is your sting? The sting of death is now gone because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and our hope for the resurrection. Do you understand this? You want to have peace in your life. Focus on the fact that this life is only temporary and what we have to come in eternity is much greater and we we can be hopeful and filled with hope that we will enter into heaven because Jesus rose from the grave. This is not just good news, friends. This is the best news possible. In fact, Paul was willing to spend time in jail and eventually be killed for proclaiming the good news. He says, going back in our text, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for I am now suffering, or I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus With eternal glory. Paul says, Lock me up if you want, it doesn't matter at all. I have my eye on the prize. I might be bound, but the Word of God isn't. His truth can still go forward while I'm in jail. People can still come to know Christ while I am in shackles. And the gospel will still go forward if I even die for my faith. He says, For the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This world can never have peace outside of Jesus Christ and the hope of glory. And church, we have an opportunity to be a part of spreading that peace. We could see in our lifetime the whole world, the whole world getting the opportunity to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I think every one of us want to see that. We could see that in our generation. And I am excited about that. And I hope you're excited too. I hope it excites you to the point of action that you will join in and be part of disciples making disciples who make disciples. Again, Paul reminds us in this text three things that we ought to remember. First, we should multiply. Second, we should live like Jesus. And third, we should keep our eye on the prize. I have a challenge, three-part challenge for you today. Three parts because I'm Baptist. And it's just easy to remember. First of all, pray. Pray and ask God to reveal to you if you are lacking one of these three areas that we're talking about. Pray. Ask Him, God, where am I I falling short here? Am I I multiplying? Am I living my life like you? Do I regularly forget how good and faithful you are? And if you are, do something about it. So pray and then, then make it actionable. Do something about it first thing you can do in the next part of the challenge is this, share the areas you are struggling with with a trusted friend. Accountability is good for us. We need it. Share with somebody, a trusted friend, where you're struggling and ask them to pray along with you. And then finally, look for one person you can disciple. Just look for one person that you can disciple in the next year and see what happens. We are this year, we're in the, we just started last week this thing called the uncommon gift. And our recipient this year is an organization called the Timothy Initiative. And one of the exciting things about the Timothy Timothy Initiative is what we're talking about is exactly what they're trying to do across the world. Make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. They're doing that by planting planting churches by making disciples, but they're able to do it for $408 a church because they're not building buildings, they're not sending people to seminary, they're simply making disciples who are making disciples who are making disciples and planting churches that way when we started this uh on un- last week i i let everybody know that my original goal was 50 churches which is about twenty thousand dollars before i could even get here and tell you all of that uh, an anonymous donor came and said i want to do a matching gift of twenty thousand dollars so right away before we started we're already at 50 churches so i'm like all right then maybe let's have our goal at a hundred thousand or i'm sorry a hundred churches hundred thousand dollars would be great i mean writes that check who knows right So the goal now is 100 churches, which is about $40,000. We hadn't even opened up online giving until the middle of the week. I didn't tell any of you how you could participate in this. And we're already up with money that's been received to 88 churches planted. And I believe God's going to do something far more. Again, one one of the reasons... Well, I'm going to tell you more about how you can, I'll, I'll do that now, how you can give. So it is up online. If you go to Brienfamily.com forward slash give, there's a little box where you can go down and find uncommon gifts and you can give there. Um, again, it costs $408 to plant a church. You might say, I want to plant 10. You might want to say, hey, I'll, I'll participate in this. Uh, and however you can do that, we ask that you can prayerfully consider doing that. And we'll just see what we can do as a church family. The other way is you can, um, if you want to write a check or, or give cash, Uh, you can do so by grabbing an envelope, putting the cash or check in that, and then in the little subject line, just write TTI. That's the Timothy Initiative. So write TTI, and we'll make sure that money gets to where it's going. Um, I I really believe that God's going to continue to do something incredible through this, and I cannot wait to see what 2024 brings um, as a result of these gifts and what God's going to do in the least-reached areas of the world. And this is what's unique. One of the things that's unique about the Timothy Initiative is their focus is on areas where the gospel is not already being preached. Now, now if I asked you, how many of you would, would, would just assume that the majority of missionaries and mission dollars are going to the areas where the, where the gospel isn't already uh, at work? Would anybody just assume that that's probably what's happening? I, I want you to check out this video that talks about that.
0: So, when we use the phrase the great imbalance, what are we talking about? Let's start with the basics, the Great Commission. When the resurrected Christ stood on the side of a mountain in Galilee and said, go, make disciples of all nations, it wasn't a suggestion, it was a commandment. Jesus even promised that before he comes back, we will accomplish his commission. So we're talking about the most important mission in the world. Now. Today on planet Earth, there are 7.75 billion people, and of those 7.75 billion people, over 3 billion of those people are unreached, meaning they have zero access to the gospel. Most of them will be born, live, and die without ever hearing about Jesus. That's around 40% of the world's population. We break the whole population down into people groups. These are groups that share language, culture, tribe, et cetera. Every single people group can be put in one of two categories, reached or unreached. And the Great Commission involves taking the number of unreached people groups to zero. Now, in order to accomplish any task, it takes determination, a plan, and resources. But this is where you'll find the great imbalance. Today, there are hundreds of millions of Christ followers in the world. These are people who understand and want the Great Commission to be accomplished. That's you, me, every Bible-believing church you've ever heard of. These believers donate hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars to their churches around the world. This money goes to pay for things like electricity, food, water, staff, missions, even things like handbells, I mean everything. And of the hundreds of billions of dollars given to the church, roughly $47 billion is already allocated to missions to the nations. But we don't just give money. Around 400,000 people are working as missionaries to the nations. But here's where it all starts to fall apart. Remember our two groups, reached and unreached? Of these missions, resources, people, money, already specifically set aside for missions to the nations, only 1% of the money and 3% of the missionaries go to take the gospel to unreached people in the world. That means 99% of our mission's money and 97% of our missionaries are going to people that already have the gospel. This is the great imbalance. And with the world's population growing at the rate it is now, every day, we're losing more ground than we gain. This is why the global church needs a new perspective on how and where we spend our resources if we want to truly obey the Great Commission.
1: So you might notice the numbers are a little bit different than we shared last week. This video is a couple of years old and that's why there's a little bit of a discrepancy. Now there's 8 billion people and like 3.2 or 3.4 unreached, uh, uh, billion that are unreached. We have this opportunity to partner with the Timothy Initiative to, to right this wrong. And it's one of the great things about it is they are going to those places where there are no Christians and there are no churches. So if you've grown up in one of these places, you could live your entire life without hearing the name of Jesus or interacting with the good news of Christ. We need to stop that. And we can stop that in our generation. Not only are we partnering with the Timothy Initiative as they're going to make disciples who make disciples all through the unreached world. We are going to be seeking to do the same thing here. Uh, In January, uh, Pastor Isaiah and myself will be in... Uh, teaching with the adults class on Wednesday night, um, doing this very very same study that the Timothy Initiative does with their people throughout the world. So uh, if if you're not already doing something Wednesday night, uh, please come out. If you're already doing something, cancel it and come anyways. if you're, if you're already doing something because you're, you're already working in one of the other classes or helping out downstairs, we are talking about trying to come up with a way that you can interact with this as well. So just be on the lookout for that information. Would you do me a favor? Would you stand up? We have one more song to sing uh, to praise our Lord this morning, and then we'll be dismissed. God, we just thank you for this day. We thank you that you are the God of peace. That we get to celebrate this Christmas knowing that peace came to this world. And as We have been able to receive that peace, God. But we, we thank you for that, and we also, God, we ask you that you would use us in our generation to see that that peace reaches every corner of the world. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.